One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Well, it's good to be with you guys today. I'm excited to bring the word. Um, have you guys been enjoying this series out of Joshua? I know I have. Um, it feels like God's doing something new, right? Um, and especially anytime we talk about Joshua, it's like we're stepping into something new. It's exciting. Well, we're, begin- we're going to begin uh, chapter two today, and um, we're not going to probably not going to stay there. But uh, some lessons that I think that we've been kind of learning is that um, Israel is—they've been in the wilderness. Um, they went through some craziness there. Uh, maybe they didn't make it into the promised land the first time around, so they had to learn a few lessons. Spent 40 years kind of wandering around, and then uh, they get to Canaan, right? And so now Joshua's learned a few lessons from the last, from the first time around. And so uh, instead of sending 10 spies in, this time he just sends two, right? Because last time the 10 spies, as Justin preached about, they brought back a bad report, got everybody stirred up. God said, I think I'm going to do away with you guys. If I don't do away with you guys, you definitely aren't ready to enter into my promise, right? So that's where we left. And so this time Joshua, in Joshua 1, he says, uh, well, I'm just going to send two, and this time I'm going to send them in secretly. And when you, get, when you get done with your report, come back and talk to me. Don't talk to anybody else, right? And so he's learned a few lessons. You know, and I can't think, help but think that, you know, as we've been studying, I don't know about you guys, I, I love uh, really talking about uh, Exodus, this whole series, because I think it really um, directly parallels with the life of every believer, Every time uh, we talk about Exodus, it's kind of like we see that journey of, of them uh, coming out of Egypt and the bondage and all the things that they went through, right? It's like similar uh, to our experience with the Lord. We are once slaves to sin. God delivers us out of our bondage, and then he does miracles and wonders in our life, right? So many of us actually came to the Lord through a miracle. God did something, and it's like he proved himself to us in the desert. It's like when we thought, man, Lord, my, my car, it's like it's broke down and I don't have any money. You know, I don't have a job. And all of a sudden, miraculously, it, I, don't know if, I don't know if you experienced that, but I definitely experienced that when I came to the Lord. It was like anything that I prayed for, it like happened. It's like, man, God, you're real. This is like good stuff. You know, it's like, and that's kind of like what's happening with Israel. He's making himself known. He's developing a history with them. He's developing a reputation with them. And then they go, they spend a year and a half getting to the land of Canaan. This is the first round, right? So they spend a year and a half uh, coming up all the way out of Egypt, crossing Sinai in the desert, and they get all the way to, to, to Canaan. And during that time, there's some kind of sancti- sanctifying, we would say, that takes place, right? So it's like they realize that they're still carrying a lot of that stuff from Egypt in their lives, uh, they're, they're, they're carrying a lot of those old tendencies, some of those old idols, some of that old idol worship. And God's like, man, you got to get that out of you. You can't enter into my promise and carry some of that stuff into the promised land with you. But the cool thing is, I think that there's a greater call for Israel. Uh, there's, there's, God is doing something even greater in, in them and through them than they recognize. They're a nation. They are holding on to this promise. They're holding on to the call. Very similar to, you know, when Jesus spent time with the disciples. He's, spent, he's basically discipling them for three years. And then he leaves them with a mission, right? Go into all the world and become and, 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 and create disciples. Make disciples, right? There's this call, this mission. And that's kind of what's happening with Israel right now. 
Israel isn't just uh, a segregated group of people that have now been kind of pulled out of sin and made to kind of be like their own little people group and the rest of the world is out there and we're kind of in here and we're going to take over Israel and then this is going to kind of be our spot. No, they're actually becoming what a, an example to the rest of the nations of what it means to be led by God, right? God has set them apart. He's chosen them. He's pulled them out of bondage, but he's called them into a greater promise, which is to be an example to the nations of what it means to be led by God. And so uh, we're actually, I'm just going to read a few verses, um, a couple of verses for you that kind of open that up a little bit. This is out of Genesis 26, verse 4. God is talking to Abraham and he says, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed. So you see this picture of God. He's using Israel as a picture to the rest of the, the earth, what it looks like to be led by God. Exodus uh, 9, verses 16, he's talking to Moses and to Israel. He says, but I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my, my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So it's not necessarily, for Israel, it's not necessarily just about them. Hey, we're coming out, we're going to make our own little group here. And, and if you don't follow, if you don't do exactly how we are, if you're not, if you're not born uh, into the Israelite nation, then, you know, there's, you know, there's no room for you, right? It's God is actually using them as an example of what it looks like to be blessed, what it looks like to be led by God, right? And so... This is kind of the first chapter. I kind of like to think this is like Exodus is almost like the first chapter of the story of God's redemption to the, all the nations, to all mankind, to all of us, right? And now we carry that. And so he's doing, uh, he's doing, he's using this, this story in a sense. It's kind of like a physical example of what God wants to do in us spiritually and supernaturally to the world today. If we look um, just kind of even about uh, thinking about redemption, we look at the building project that's that we're, that's happening on Lee Road. Um, we're taking we've taken this old building that used to be something else, right? It used to be a repair center, a bunch of different things, and then uh, we've kind of cleaned it out. And then God's purpose has come into that, right? And it's coming into that community, coming into that area. So we see that even in the little details of life, there's this redeeming work that's taking place in, in everything that we do. There's this element of redemption. And so God uses us in his redemption story to really be in a light, be a light, an example of what it means to be used by God, what it means to be led by God, what it means to be blessed by God. Um, one of my favorite verses this year, um, I think maybe even last time I preached, I, I haven't preached it, but um, it's just been something that I think for me this year has been really uh, paramount. Uh, if you've been in conversation with me, you've probably heard me preach it before, but it's out of uh, Matthew Chapter 5, uh, verse 13 through 16, it says, Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning. This is Jesus talking to us. This is Jesus talking to the disciples, right? This is the creator. He says, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? Right? So it's like it's up to us, right? We're the, we're the bearers of his message. We're the bearers of his blessing. We have to be salty. We have to taste like God. When people, when people see us, when they're around us, they have to know. It's like, oh, that's a believer. I recognize something different about their lives, right? 
And this is where Israel is in the story. God has called them out of bondage, and he's called them into blessing. Um, But I think with every story, there's lessons that we can all learn. There's things that we can kind of take away. And and as they enter the promised land for the first time, they made some some errors, some mistakes. There's some lessons that they had to learn that I think that we could take away, kind of apply to our lives today. And I had this kind of, this idea, it's kind of like in a sense like, this story is almost like a road map, like, or, or like a map, a trail map. And it's like you're looking at the journey of Israel, kind of like they left Egypt, and now they're in the land of blessing. They're getting ready to enter. Joshua's getting ready to take them. But there's all of these things that they kind of encounter along the way. And like, you know, with a map, a trail map, if you're, if you're trying to get to a certain spot, the reason why there's a trail, and, and, and you know, the map says, it's stay on the trail, because if you get off the trail, you're going to get lost. If you get off the trail, you're going to end up in some situation, some danger that you shouldn't be in, right? That's right. Thank you, Joel. So in a, in a sense, it's kind of a guide of how we should live our lives in order to prosper in the kingdom of God. Uh, how many of you guys love to travel? Come on. I love to travel, but it's kind of a love-hate relationship, right? You love the destination, hate the travel part. <laughs> we can, just, can we just be there now, right? So there's all this stuff when you, when you fly on a plane, you know, there's all these steps, right? You're packing, you're loading, you got to get to the airport, you got to fight the crowds, you got to make sure you don't lose any kids or any luggage, right? And you get to TSA, and you're going through security, right? This is like, everybody is nervous to some degree almost. It doesn't matter how many times you fly, it's like, there's like this element, like anything could happen right now at this moment, <laughs> totally out of control, right? And so it's, it's funny, when you get up to the security point, they always have, well, actually, I've, I don't see it so much in Orlando, but in some of the airports I've been to, they have these signs, it's like, these are all the things that we've captured this year, right? And there's like, you have, they have pictures of everything, like guns and lots, lots of guns, ammunition, knives, hatchets. You're like, where do, why, what were you thinking? <laughs> You know, I've seen some, I saw one, I think I saw one time there was like a grenade or something. I'm like, what, is that something you keep on you all the time and you just like forgot about it? I mean, like hatchets? I mean, that's not something you keep in your bag, you know, when, you, when you're flying. But I remember this, it, it's, it's always amazing the people that you see in line with you. Yeah, it's like, you, it's like you think, surely you've traveled before. I mean, surely, I mean, like, I mean. You're 25, and it's like, sure, I mean, and if you haven't traveled, there's a lot of signs that explain, like, what to do, right? And if you can't read, there's a lot of people already doing what it is you're supposed to be doing, right? So it's like, I'm always impressed at, like, the amount of people that you get up there, and they're getting into security, and they haven't taken their shoes off. They haven't taken their jackets off. Their bags are full of water bottles, and you're like... There's a lady like three feet away screaming, no fluid ounces, over three, you know, it's, it's no, no water bottles. And so it's like, it's like amazing. I remember this one time there was this, um, there was this kid, he was in front of me and he had this backpack on and he was just like focused on the destination, right? He was like, I'm getting there. And he was, you know, you can tell he had this excitement. Maybe he'd never traveled before, but his like backpack was like covered in like Nalgene bottles. And I was like, and you could see the fluid washing around in there. And he was getting up. He hadn't taken his shoes off. And I was like, man, this is going to be a long trip through security, right? <laughs> but sometimes we can be like that. Sometimes we can be uh, oblivious to some of those things around us. We can, we can get all the, God's saying, hey, I want you to enter into my kingdom. But there's some things that you can't bring with you, right? There's some things you can't take with you when you're going to get on my plane, right? 
And so today, um, I actually want to read out of Psalm 106, and we're going to talk about three principles that prepare us for God's promise. Three principles that prepare us for God's promise. And so, um, just kind of a little synopsis, going back again, uh, Moses has led uh, Israel out of Egypt. They've come through the desert, and uh, they, they stop at uh, Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up on the mountain, and in that time, they, they build this altar, and they get crazy. Moses comes down, and he says, what are you guys doing? This is insane. And so God deals with them at that point, and then they get to the promised land for the very first time, and they don't make it in. They, they do everything that they probably shouldn't be doing, right? It's like God has spent like a year and a half building this reputation with them as they've been walking. He's been providing for them along the way. But they get to the promised land, and they kind of like just completely forget everything that he's done. And so God says, man, I mean, like, you're not, com- you're not ready. You're not ready. You're not ready to get on that plane. You've still got too much stuff in your life that's holding you back. So in Psalm 106, David actually kind of recounts the entire journey from Abraham all the way up to the promised land. So we're going to read a portion of that and talk about a few of the verses that I think that we can learn from. Uh, just like David. David is reading this, and he's, he's looking back, and he's saying, hey, what are some things that I can learn as I read this scripture? And he writes down, he's like, he's like, oh, they did this and this. Man, I see some of this stuff in, in our, in right now, today. And we got to repent, right? So starting at verse 4, he says, Remember me, O Lord, with the favor you have towards your people. O visit me your salvation, with your salvation, that I may see the benefit of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. And then he kind of stops right there and he says, we have sinned with our fathers. So there's this recognition as he's taking account of their journey or, or of their walk right then. He's looking back at it and he's like, man, there's some parallels that I see in our society today that we've got we've to correct some things if we're going to enter into the promise. If we're gonna, we don't want to make the same mistakes that our, our forefathers did. So we'll continue on. Um, and in verse 7 it says, our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his power known. So he rebuked the Red Sea and dried it up. So he led them through the depths and through the wilderness. He saved them from the land of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies, and there was not one of them left. Then they believed his words, they sang his praises, but they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. So when I first read this passage, I think probably any of us, when we think about the journey of Israel, we think, oh, man, how can you forget the Red Sea parting? I mean, like, how, who would forget that, right? I mean, imagine walking through the ocean on dry ground. I mean, I mean... You could try to probably maybe justify it logically or scientifically like something happened. There was a big hurricane, but you can't really justify the fact that the ground was dry on, you know, the, the seafloor, right? So it's just a genuine miracle. It's like, how can you forget that stuff? What about manna? Can you imagine like walking outside of your house every day? You, you wake up, you throw the covers off, you walk outside the door. Oh, there's food. Oh, I think I'll bend down and I'll, I'll pick it up, right? <laughs> Sounds pretty good to me. I mean, overall, it's like, Food on demand, right? The cloud covered them. 
Can you imagine it's like if, you know, and we experience this quite a bit here. Like every time you're hot, the cloud, it's like, oh, there's a cloud. Man, I'm, I'm starting to turn white because it's so cloudy out, right? Or how about their clothes never wearing out as they are crossing through the desert? Marshall's is going out of business. Lord, we need to get some new clothes, right? Imagine that's like our life. It'd be amazing. And it would be easy to think, you know, it's like that we wouldn't be like them. But the truth is um, we probably would be. And Israel had been become accustomed to the miracles that were taking place all around them. Um, but really, we have supernatural miracles that take place in our life every day, right? Everybody in this room is clothed, right? We all have clothes, right? Everybody, whether you had breakfast or not, you probably have a meal waiting for you after this, right? That's a, that's a miracle in itself, right? The fact that we have clothes to wear, the fact that we have jobs, the fact that we have food, the fact that we have a roof over our head, right? That's the shelter. Israel was living in a tent at the time. And God says, hey, you know, you don't have homes, but I'm going to give you a home. So for now, let's, let's go with the cloud. But we all have homes, right? It's a miracle. Um, food, in our, food, in our, food on our shelves. I mean, none of us have probably here probably come to this place where it's like we're just without food. I can remember one time when my, you know, when my parents were missionaries or when we were missionaries, I was living in Guatemala. There was one time when it got like, you know, like right down to the bare minimum. We had some soup in the, in the closet. But we still, God always provides, right? That, I mean, even with bare minimum, it's like you see the miracles. We've seen the miracles. All of us have seen the daily miracles of what God's been doing. And if we're not careful, we can quickly forget the works of God that he's doing in our lives daily, just like they did. Right? Anyone who has anybody here ever forgot a birthday? Maybe of someone like like a family member, someone that you probably shouldn't forget a birthday, right? And it's funny how quickly we can forget something that's so meaningful to us, right? Think about um, like anniversaries. That's one you don't want to forget, right? <laughs> Definitely don't want to forget the anniversaries. Um, but we honor we honor what we cherish and we celebrate what we value. And um, think about national holidays. Why do we celebrate, you know, the 4th of July? That happened, you know, quite a while ago, a couple hundred years ago, right? So it's like, why do we, so we, we celebrate that to remember the cost of our freedom, right? We celebrate that every year. What about museums? You know, think about specifically, like, I was thinking about the Holocaust Museum. Why do we, why do we have the Holocaust Museum? To, to remember, hey, let's not let this ever happen again, right? We don't, we don't want to celebrate that, but let's remember that we don't ever want to let that happen again in this world, right, in society. So it's like we honor what we cherish, right? We, we celebrate what we value. And, and when we value something or someone, that person then takes precedence in our lives. And it has to be, it's, this, it's something that we say it's important enough that we need to do everything we can to remember it or celebrate it. Um, and it's like that with God. We have to take time. Every day, we have, to, we have to do our best every day to remember and celebrate what God is doing, the miracles that are taking place in our life every day. That's why we, that's why we celebrate Easter. That's coming up pretty quick, right? It's, we're remembering what God did. We're remember, remembering that sacrifice. That's why we come to church every Sunday. Why do we do that? We're remembering who God is, right? We're, we're putting ourselves, Lord, you, we're putting ourselves in his presence saying, Lord, you are good. I don't want to forget. I don't want a week to go by without remembering what it is, because if I do, I'll end up just serving myself, right? I'll just end up serving my desires. But I don't want a week to go by without remembering your goodness, without remembering who you are, without dwelling in your presence. 
What about just simply praying over meals? What are we doing? We're thanking God for that provision, right? We're thanking God for that provision. Reading the word, why do we do that? So we remember who God is, so we know who God is. So that dwells, that begins to transform our lives. And when we value something enough, it begins to shape our lives, right? We begin, our lives begin to be shaped by that value. Our lives begin to shape by that thing that we honor. And so what we're seeing with Israel is that they forgot because they didn't honor the Lord. They, they forgot what God had done. They forgot the daily miracles because they weren't honoring him. In other words, our relationship with God has to be so valuable that we need to do whatever it takes in our life to honor him. If not, we can quickly lose sight of what's really important in life and get off the trail right? We're losing sight of that promise. We're losing sight of what's pulling ahead. And we end up off the trail, in the woods, lost, right? And it's really hard to get where you're going if you're lost. And the miracles, in a way, the things, when we remember the things that God is doing, it's kind of like, they're like landmarks. You know, it's like if you're, one of the things I remember that um, when I was doing like wilderness first responder training many years ago, like they would teach you to like watch for landmarks. So it's like, so in case something happens to your map or where you could find your way by the landmarks, right? You know you're on the right trail. It's like, okay, I see that mountain. I see that big rock. That kind of coincides, right? It's like, you, you know you're headed in the right, right direction. And in, in a way, the miracles of our life, the things that God's doing daily, when we remember them, they become like landmarks. Like, God, I know I'm headed on the right path. David says this in Psalms. He says, uh, Lord, your word is a lamp unto my feet a light into my path, right? The word has become a landmark for him. It's guiding him. He knows that if he stays in the word, he's going to be on the right path. When we Sabbath, when we fast, when we pray, when we read the word, we're honoring him, remembering, uh, we're doing whatever it takes to remember the works of the God. Remember, God, you are faithful. God, I'm not, I don't want to forget that because if I forget that, I'm going to end up and I'm going to be lost. And the thing is, when we're putting him first, uh, you're going to be filled with peace right? Because he's the one that's the provider. If you're honoring him, you're going to be filled with joy. So if you feel like, man, I just feel like I'm struggling with peace. So it's like, have you thought about the works of God today? Have you thought about the works of God this week? Man, I'm just struggling. I just feel like down. Well, have you thought about uh, what God has done in your life over these? Have you thought about the salvation that you've received, right? Isn't that stirs up joy in us? More than happiness, it stirs up joy in us. Something that's sustainable, that it's always there, right? The danger of taking our eyes off the landmarks is that we let our feelings and our desires dictate our decisions. Happiness becomes our guide, right, rather than God. And the thing with, you know, we, we, we've heard, we've all heard it. It's like, do what makes you happy, right? Do what makes you happy in life. But the thing is, happiness is fleeting. So you're always doing. And then you end up spending 40 years in the desert wandering around looking for happiness, doing a whole lot of nothing, Right? The map is saying, hey, don't go that way. Keep your eyes centered on God. Keep your eyes centered on his works. It'd be so much easier. If not, it's like, I know sometimes it's like, I don't know if you guys have ever been hiking, but it's like when you're hiking, sometimes the destination seems so close. It's like, I know it's just on the other side of that ridge, and if I just kind of, I could just go this way. The trail seems says to go this way. But if I could just go this way, it seems like it would cut off so much more time. It would be something like when I get there, I could relax. I could get there. But, you know, that always ends up terrible, right? <laughs> Some of us have experience. I remember um, I used to be a, uh, like a trail guide in, for the YMCA in North Carolina. And we, had always, we always had all different kinds of, of campers that would come through. We had adults. We had teenagers. We had uh, little kids, 12 to 14, 
Um, but then we'd have one of the one of my favorite trips was actually the senior high schoolers. They would come, and the one thing unique about their trip, it was all about teaching them how to like navigate uh, the wilderness on their own. So in the beginning, the first day, we would you know teach them how to pack their bags, how to set up tents. So the whole first day was about training, and the next four days was just about them like figuring it out. It was pretty cool. Um, so we would teach them how to read a map, and never, always, never fail. You know, we'd spend all that preparation, and then the day that we got there, they'd get on the trail, and they're walking, and all of a sudden, it starts to get hard. It's like, man, this is like, we're going uphill a lot. You know, it's like, carrying these bags seem really heavy today. You know, it's like, it starts to get hard, and they, they know, they can look at the map. They're looking at the map, and it's like, yeah, but it looks like our destination is like right over there. It's like, maybe if we just like cut through and never fail, every time the high schoolers, they would always do this. They would like start getting cut, they would cut through the woods. And I had been in this area for so long that I had been, I knew all of the trails and how to, how to navigate it. Also, you know, they would get totally lost every time. They'd be like, we'd end up outside of the national park. You know, one time, it, one time we ended up like in someone else's private property and they were like squirrel hunting and everyone was terrified, you know, so it's, but that's kind of how we can be, right? It's it's that it's that easiness that pulls us, right? It's that man. This if we got there, I'd be so, I could just relax. I'd be so comfortable if I could just cut through here. It would be so much easier. And that we can be we can be that way sometimes. The reward for waiting is really intimacy, because you're developing a reputation with the Lord, right? When when we wait on Him, we're saying, Lord, um, I'm going to honor you first before myself. I'm going to honor you before my desires. I'm going to honor you before my feelings. I'm going to let my feelings, um, they're going to they're gonna be kind of like um, dictated by what I honor, right? Not My honor is not going to dictate the feelings. It's like my life is dictated first by God. I put him first, right? And the reward for that is intimacy. That's what God was establishing with Israel in the desert, right? As he's leading them through all these miracles, he's, he's establishing a relationship with them. He's establishing intimacy with them. It's not just a dead idol that they're, that they're worshiping. It's a living God that, and you know, the thing is, God made us for intimacy. That's the reason he created all of us, right? He created us for a relationship. So number one, we got to honor the Lord. I gave you the point at the end on that one. I switched it up a little. <laughs> number one, we got to honor the Lord. And number two, we got to wait on the Lord. Let's look at verse 14. It says, but they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but he sent leanness into their soul. Uncontrolled lust. They tested God in the wilderness. And another version says they gave into their cravings. And the funny thing is they're not really judged on their cravings. They're judged on giving into them or they're judged on the fact that they tested God to get them. Right? And God's value had been, he has become associated with what they wanted. Rather than the intimacy, rather than the relationship, the value of serving the Lord just became about what I want, what I can get, what I can get right now, right? And so that's where they're at. I remember this one time going back to um, uh, wilderness and, and, and kids and, and camping and stuff like that. We, I had this one, one group. It was a group of 12 to 14-year-olds. And the biggest kid in the group, it was really funny. The biggest, well, it wasn't funny at the time. <laughs> but the biggest kid in the group, you know, he, he, and most of them had never camped before. So when they, so it was like, you knew when you got these, they were like, they were going to be raw. These kids are going to be raw, especially at 12 to 14. They were coming from like Charlotte and like none of them had like ever camped before. None of them have done any like overnight camping. So we're on a four day backpacking trip. And the very first day, 
you know, the kid, the, the biggest kid in the group, he's got his pack, and he packed his bag the lightest, right? And so he's the biggest kid in the group, and like halfway through the first day, he starts to complain, man, this is so heavy, I don't know why we're having to do this, and he starts like getting this attitude, right? And then um, the second day in, he just like throws his bag on the ground, he's like, I'm not going any further, I'm tired of this, and he, he lays down, he lays down in the middle of the trail, he's like, I'm not going, this is it, leave me behind, right? And he's <laughs> He, start, he starts to act up, right? So he would do that. And so after a couple, one of the other kids actually said, okay, he was like, the, it was like the smallest one in the group. Said, I'll carry your bag for you, whatever. So the smallest kid in the group is carrying his bag. And then that doesn't, you know, it just gets worse because the attitude is really there. It's not really about the bag or any of that. The attitude is there. And so then he starts just saying, I'm not good. That's it. I'm done. I'm not going, I'm not going any farther. And so we just decided to like leave him as a group. I was like, well. <laughs> and I wasn't a bad, I wasn't a bad counselor. Like we, the, he would lay down in the trail. This is literally what's happened. It's like a 14 year old kid lay down in the middle of the trail, right? Throwing a fit. And so we were, I was like, okay, well, we're going to leave you. See you later. And so we would go on a little ways. And then like, I would hide like in the bushes just to make sure it's like, you know, nothing doesn't. So I wasn't like a terrible, like <laughs> trail guide counselor person. But then he'd realize all of a sudden he's like, I'm out here alone. You know, all of a sudden it was like dawn on him. So he'd pick himself up and then he'd run back to the rest of the group. And eventually after a couple of days, he got used to it. But the thing is, when we got to our destination, which was like the top of Mount Rogers, um, all of a sudden he saw why we were going there. All of a sudden he saw why it was hard. He's like, he was like, wow, this is amazing. Right. And so that's like the kid that was complaining the most all of a sudden had like this like amazement. It's like, this is what we've been going for. This is what we've been hiking. This is why it's been so hard. We're coming to see this. This is awesome. And so there was this kind of transformation that took place. And that's kind of like what we're seeing from Israel at this point, right? It's like they're saying, God, if we don't have something better to eat, we're going back. We're going back to Egypt, right? That's what, that's what, it's kind of like they're testing God. And how many of you ever felt like that really when you're believing for something God, for, from God in your life, right? Honestly, I know I have. I'll be honest, like, there's been times where it's like, God, I don't, if you don't answer this, this problem I have, if you don't answer this prayer I have right now, I don't know if you love me, right? That's like a real one. You must not love me, right? Or, God, if you, don't, if you don't love me and you don't answer this request, I'm going back to doing what it is I want to do in life, right? That's a real one. We've been there, right? It's like when you're believing for something, when, you're, when, you're, when you know that there's something that you're believing for in your heart, um, we can oftentimes test God in that rather than waiting on him, rather than honoring him, rather than waiting on him to answer that request, right? It becomes about us and now and, and our timing. We see that in the story of Jacob and Esau. You know, Esau was out in the wilderness. He was hunting. He comes back in and he's famished. You know, here's Jacob. He's back, he's back home and he's got, he knows what's about to happen, right? And so he makes this stew, and he knows when his brother comes in, he's like, I'm so hungry, I'd sell my birthright for a bowl of beans, right? And that's what he does. He sells his birthright. I mean, he had been so focused on that temple that he didn't value, kind of like the camper, he didn't, he didn't value where he was going. He didn't wait, you know. He's like, he's, I'll sell my birthright because I just want this satisfaction right now. I want it right now, right? I'm not, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait on the Lord. I don't want to wait on anything. I just need this now. Right? And so that's kind of where we see Israel in this journey. They had developed this habit of testing the Lord. Test the Lord. If you don't give it to me now, if you don't give me something different. And they lost sight of, of what's ahead of them. They lost sight of where God was taking them. They lost sight of that promise. Right? And the thing is that God is not out 
to God wants the Father wants His children to be blessed, not to live in poverty. He's not He's not out to make us impoverished, right? There are seasons that we go through that are difficult, but the objective isn't to like you know, if you believe in me, you're supposed to be in poverty, right? That's not That's not God. Every father, what father, what father wants that for their children? But yet, our I mean, none of us, right? We all want our children to be blessed. I know that my dad. Wanted me to, he wanted me to have, my dad was sacrificing everything he had so that I could be blessed, right? And that, and how much more from God the Father, right? His love is perfect for us. So how much more that when we think about God and who he is, we can't, I mean, we can't say, oh, you just must want the worst for my life, right? No, but God wants the best for our lives. Listen to what it says in um, 3 John uh, chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Beloved, I pray you prosper in all things, and be in health, just as your soul prospers. All areas of life, your, all areas, your relationships, your business, your work, emotions, physical health, mental health, everything, your friends, those that you're around, your mental health, your emotions, all of those things. God wants prosperity. He wants his blessing to rule in all of those areas of our lives, right? That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life, Right? It's what's happening in, in here. It's the prosperity of the soul that's coming out, and it's transforming all of these areas of, of our life. It's like when we're honoring the Lord, when, we're, when God's a part of our life, when we're waiting on him, that prosperity is changing all of the things, all the areas. It's, it's dictating all the areas of our life. There's blessing that's taking place in all of those areas. And when, when our soul is prospering, every area of our life is prospering. God's grand plan isn't to make, make us an example of poverty, but just like Israel, it's to show the rest of the world what it looks like to live blessed, what it looks like to live with God in your life, what it looks like to be led by God. We have to wait on him. and We have to wait on him and sometimes be satisfied with less, knowing full well um, God's best is yet to come. Amen? God always prunes um, the plant that's growing. Right? That sounds contradictive. You know, it's like the plant that's growing. Why should we prune it, right? But God always prunes the plant that's growing so that it can bear more fruit. And I don't mean just produce more fruit because he knows that you're going to produce. But it's so that you can bear the weight of the fruit that you're bearing, right? My, my parents have a neighbor that has a, a pear tree. And every year that the pear tree would grow pear, pears, the pears would get so heavy that it would break off all the branches of the tree until they're just like this stick, right? There's like nothing left but the stick because the, it would bear so much fruit that the, the branches themselves couldn't carry the weight. And the thing is, he disciplines us so that we can survive his blessings. That's what, that's what we're seeing with Israel, right? In this first year, right before they're getting ready to head into the promised land the first time, he's saying, look, there's some things in your life that if you're going to live blessed, if you're going to be an example to the nations of what it looks like to be led by God, you've got to be able to bear that fruit. You've got to be able to hold it up. So there's some things that you've got to leave. I've got to prune back some things in your life. You've got to leave some things behind. You can't take that stuff with you, right? He always disciplines us so that we can survive his blessing. He prunes back the ones that are growing. And one of the greatest things that God can often do for us is not give us what, what we want, right? Sometimes getting everything we want, it depletes the most important thing that we have, our soul, right? It's like saving money. Who here likes to save money? Steph raised her hand. You can see it. <laughs> I love adventure, 
I'll let you decipher what that means. <laughs> Steph's a great saver, though. Thank God she's in my life. Love her. I love a gentry. But one of, the, one of the things about saving money is you're looking forward to something, right? You're investing in something that you know will be rewarding someday, right? It's kind of like that. It's like you've disciplined yourself to be able to bear that fruit. You're saving, right? You're disciplined yourself to bear that fruit because you know that there's a reward that's coming, right? Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys, where thieves cannot break in. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Do you see the theme here? The greater treasure is what we receive. It's the eternal reward. It's that promise living in us. And if we live with the theme of instant gratification in our lives, it quickly can sabotage the eternal work that God wants to do through us. And ultimately, it's a poor reflection of who God is to the rest of the world. Right? Isn't he patient? Isn't he kind? Long-suffering? He's the definition of love. And see, that's what God is creating in us. That's what God's doing in, in us. And if we want to be ready for the blessing of God, we have to be able to wait on him. So number one, we have to honor the Lord. Number two, we have to wait on the Lord. And number three, we have to worship the Lord. Um, we can turn to, or if you're still in Psalms 106, we're going to read out of verse 19, starting in verse 19. It says, They made a calf in Horeb and worshiped the molded image. They changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. And so the rest of the story is that Moses goes up on the mountain. Um, he goes up on the mountain to receive the word of God. And while he's up there, the people just become impatient, right? It's like that's that instant gratification kicking in at that moment. You know, while he's up there, the people start gathering together all their gold, all their valuables, and they give them to Aaron. And they say, fashion an idol for us to worship. Make it. Make an idol. Right? They say, we waited too long. We don't, even, we don't even know if Moses is alive anymore. Make us an idol to bow down. We are ready to party, basically. We're ready. That's a party in the desert. We've waited on Moses too long. It's time to get crazy. <laughs> Essentially, what they're saying is, God, I, I don't want to wait on you anymore. I need to focus my attention and my affection on something I can see right now, something I can do right now. And if we aren't honoring the Lord, if we aren't waiting on the Lord, then it's really difficult to worship the Lord. And the scary thing is, or it can be a blessing, is that we always become more like what we worship. David writes this in, in, chapter, in Psalms 115, 4 through 8. He says, um, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. And then it skipped down a few verses, and it says, Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. So when the Israelites fashion the gold calf, they're literally worshiping something that they've made with their own hands. They've lost sight of, of, of the Lord. It's something um, that's already in their heart. It's something that's already in there. And the crazy thing is they've built an ox. Right? So it's like, if, if you're going to, I mean, that just seems, I don't know, build an eagle or something like that. But an ox, right? It's like an ox gets a yoke around its neck. An ox is driven by a master. It's mindless. has no control over its life. Right? It's driven along by someone else. It's driven along by something. They put, they, they're fashioning an ox to worship. Basically, essentially, they're saying, 
my wealth, what I can build with my hands is my master. I want to see, I want to worship something I can build. I want to put my time in, I want to invest, I want, I want to worship that, right? Time, worship is often equated to time spent. And if we aren't careful, we can spend more time worshiping or worrying about what tomorrow brings rather than the one who brings tomorrow. In other words, our confidence and our time go into building what we can trust, right? We spend all of our effort, we spend all of our time trying to prevent or trying to, trying to, to do what, trying to thinking about what tomorrow brings. But when we wait on the Lord, when we honor the Lord, worshiping the Lord becomes easy because we trust him. We've built that reputation with him. We've seen his miracles, provision, day after day. We've seen his miracles and provision. So we begin to, it becomes easy to worship and begins, becomes easy to step into his promises. Romans 12, verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect to God. You see, by the time Israel had gotten to this point, they had built something that was a reflection of something that was already going on in their own heart. And when, and when we are worshiping what we can build with our eyes, our own eyes, it, we become veiled to the truth of God and life. Here's the good, here's the good, I love this verse. Here's the good stuff. You ready for it? 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. And it says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have the veil removed see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. The more we spend time in His presence, the more we worship Him, the more we become like Him. Right? Worship team, you can come up. I don't even know how long I've been preaching, but (laughs) we're there. The more we spend time worshiping the Lord, the more we become like Him. And that's, that's the thing, as we see in the nation of Israel, God set up the nation of Israel to be an example to the rest of the nations of what it looked like to reflect the glory of God, right? To have the veil taken away so that the light of his glory would shine into the nations. And that's what God wants to do in us. God wants us to reflect his glory to people around us, right? The veil has to be taken off of our eyes. We have to look at him, we have to worship him. Have you ever been uh, um, around someone who's been near a campfire? It's like a distinct smell, right? Smoke. You can smell it for days. <laughs> Steph and I were at REI uh, yesterday. Uh, we are getting ready for a trip coming up in a few weeks, and so we were looking around some camping stuff. And uh, we went back to the clearance section, and there was like, and I don't have very good smell right now. We went back to the clearance section, and there was like, there were some backpacks and some tents and some boots, and you could still smell the campfire smoke. It's like when you walked into that section, it's like, it smells like smoke back here, right? Because they had been around the fire. And, you know, for us, um, that's what we're supposed to smell like when we're around Jesus, right? We're supposed to smell like him. We're supposed to look like him. When someone sees us, they're like, hmm, smells good. It's a Jesus smell. Come on some glory coming off that person. I want to be around them. It's a smell. It smells good, right? Because they've been around the presence of God. 
They've been around the fire of God. And when we turn to the Lord, when we change direction in our lives, when we face Him, we're headed on the trail into His blessing, right? The aroma of freedom should be coming off us to the point where people are just asking, what's so different about you? Who's leading your life? Because I've been serving my kingdom over here and I, I kind of spin in my wheels, all right? I, I keep getting lost week after week. I keep getting lost day after day. I feel like I have no direction in my life. I feel like I'm lost. What's so different about you? Because I've been around Jesus. I've been in his kingdom. Man, you should join. It's good stuff, right? Why are you so happy? Why are you so happy all the time? So I've been with Jesus. I've been in his kingdom. Why, why aren't you stressed, right? Stress is a real thing, right? Why, why, why aren't you stressed? Oh, man, I've been in his presence. And in his presence, there's fullness of peace. In his presence, there's fullness of joy, right? How'd you navigate that problem? Oh, man, I've been in the word. The word will teach me everything I need to know about how to navigate the problems of life. Man, you should get some right? That's that fire of God stirring in us, right? That's that smoke that's coming off of us. That's that dwelling in his presence. What about forgiveness? Man, how could you forgive that person? Oh, man, because I know Jesus forgave me, right? That's, that's the life. That's the kingdom coming. It's the life reflecting off of us. It's the spirit of God that dwells in us, right? It's coming out. And it's reflecting God's glory, to the nations around us, to the people around us, to every person that we meet, right? That's what God was intending for Israel to be, to be a reflection of his glory, to be a reflection to the rest of the nations of what it looks like to be led by God. And I believe that's what God is calling us in today. It's not hard to step into the promises of God. It's not hard to step into the things that he's calling us into when we're already honoring him, when we're already waiting on him, and when we're already worshiping him, right? Amen? We have to live a life of worship. We have to live a life of dwelling in His presence. We have to live a life around the fire of God, around His presence, right? Why don't we stand? God didn't make us to be hidden in a box, just like He said in Matthew 5. He made us to be a light. He made us to be a light to the rest of the world. He made us to be salty. So that when people taste us, when the people look at us, they're like, man, there's something different. You've got a different seasoning on you. There's something, there's something happy about you, something joyful about you, right? Something different about you. That's what God made us to be, to be a reflection of his beauty. To bring out the God flavors of, of the earth. Amen? So I'd like to just take a few moments, you know, and just kind of reflect on us, this, all of us. Like, you know, let's just spend some time in worship. We'll come back, but let's just spend some time honoring the Lord and saying, God, just do what you're going to do. If there's some things in our lives that we need to surrender, some idols, if there's some self-doubt, if there's some of us in there, let's just ask, Lord, just come in. We want to make room for you in our lives. It's like you're number one, right? All right, let's worship together.